Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel Podcast. As a vibrant part of life at Trinity Western University, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Greetings, everyone. It's great to be with you again today. Uh, If you missed my last sermon, my name is Dave Dack, and I'm the pastor of Lemoore Presbyterian Church in the city of Lemoore, here in the central San Joaquin Valley of California. In my message last time, we looked at how God is present through his promises to his people, even when it seems like God is missing from world events. Today, we pick the story back up in Esther chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food, He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go in to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, She would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shaashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. One of my favorite science fiction books of all time is Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. In the novel, a futuristic Earth has been at war with an alien race for hundreds of years, and Earth was nearly wiped out in a previous attack. The military starts breeding child geniuses in hopes of finding a general with the tactical brilliance to finally defeat the aliens. A boy named Ender rises through a series of battle simulations that show he might be the one they've been waiting for. And without spoiling it for you, if you haven't read the book or seen the movie, Ender eventually discovers that one of his victories was achieved under false pretenses. One of his generals lied to him about what was really happening, and Ender felt as guilty as he did angry. The scene was captured well in the movie that was made back in 2013. I will bear the shame of this genocide forever. No. You will be remembered as a hero. I will be remembered as a killer. It was us or them. And you're sure we've killed every last one of them? I saw their whole planet destroyed. How do you know there was another colony or another queen out there? We won! 
That's all that matters. No. The way we win matters. In many ways, the story of Esther is a win for God's people. It's a victory against the enemies of God. But before we get to Esther's victory itself, our passage today reveals the way Esther wins. As God's people, winning isn't all that matters. The way we win matters too. And the first thing to be clear about is that when it comes to God's people, our calling is to win favor, not fights. We're told that when Esther was brought under the care of Hegai, she pleased him and won his favor. Hegai's job was to groom the next queen, and right from the start, Esther was his number one. Now, we could just chalk this up to Esther's good looks. The story does tell us that she was very beautiful, and it would be easy to think that she won Hegai's favor just by being pretty. But I think we all know better than that. We all know that winning someone's favor requires more than just catching their eye. Winning favor is something you do with your whole person. It's something you do on purpose. Esther summoned her entire self, looks, personality, demeanor, attitude, and so forth, to win he guy's favor. And what a remarkable example of our calling as God's people. What a striking role model Esther is for how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians. Far too often, Christians have been known for trying to win fights instead of favor. From the Crusades to the wars of the Reformation to party politics and race relations and mask mandates, Christians have too often made the mistake of thinking that our job is to win fights. We want to be on the winning team and we want Jesus to be our mascot. We ask Jesus to baptize our battles and eliminate our enemies. But nothing could be further from the way to which Jesus calls us. We are called to win favor, not fights. Now, that's not to say that we can win everyone's favor. Winning the favor of the world is not our primary objective. Jesus was clear that we are not of the world and that the world will hate us because it hated him first. We are not called to people please our way through life or to mortgage the message of the gospel to finance the favor of the world. What we are called to do is to share the gospel in a winsome way. The Apostle Paul, who never budged an inch on his belief in the grace of Jesus and his understanding of the gospel, nonetheless became all things to all people in order that he might win some. Jesus himself said, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our job is to share the gospel in a way that wins favor, not fights. 
At the National Prayer Breakfast in 1994 during the Clinton administration here in the United States, Mother Teresa was clear about her position on abortion. But instead of picking a fight about it, she talked about the way her and her fellow sisters were working hard to help prevent abortions through adoption. First, she said, we welcome the young mothers and say, we love you and we will care for you and we will keep you safe. Then we will find a family who can lovingly care for your child. There was no judgment, only a sincere effort to help. And then Mother Teresa said this at the prayer breakfast. She said, please don't kill the child. I want the child. Please give me the child. That's how you win the favor of the world. Not by winning a fight or demonizing the other side, but through the self-sacrificing love of family. Speaking of family, the next thing Esther shows us is that we win as a family of faith. We're told that Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Now, this was certainly practical advice on Mordecai's part. If Hegai or the king found out about Esther's ethnicity too early in the process, she might not have made the cut, and that could have spelled disaster for all the Jews living in Susa. You see, Esther wasn't trying to win a personal victory. She was trying to win a family victory, a victory for her people. When it comes to winning favor, we win as a family of faith. I'm an avid chess player, which is not the same as a good chess player. But one of the lessons I learned early on is, is that what you want to do is get all your pieces working together. Your pieces are not mercenaries each out to win the game for themselves. All the pieces must work together in a united effort to win. We don't win the favor of the world for ourselves. We win it for the sake of God's entire kingdom. There are no mercenary Christians. If you go out there and try to win the world's favor by yourself, you're going to get creamed. You can't do this by yourself, nor should you. And what this means practically, I'm just going to come right out and say it, is that you need church. You need to be an active part of the family of faith. Now, I, I know I'm biased as a pastor, but trust me, you need church. I've heard way too many Christians over the years say that they love Jesus, but they hate the church. But the church is Jesus' body and Christ's bride. And he loves the church and gave himself up for her, which means that we can't love Jesus without also loving the church he loves. Not only that, but without the church, you are easy prey for the enemy. The gates of hell can prevail against you just like they did against Peter when he denied Jesus three times. But they cannot prevail against the church. 
we win as a family of faith or not at all. Now, finally, and this is perhaps the most difficult part, Esther shows us that we win in weakness. The text says that Esther would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her. Esther was in a position of complete weakness. She served entirely at the king's pleasure. She had no power over him, no political recourse, no initiative that she could take. But her weakness was precisely her strength. This is a constant theme throughout scripture. God repeatedly chooses the weak to shame the strong. And God's people almost always win in weakness. Whether it's crossing the Red Sea, watching the walls of Jericho fall, or a Messiah born in a manger and crucified on a cross, God's victories always come when we are weak. Paul said it best in his second letter to the Corinthians, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you believe that God's strength is enough when your strength isn't? Do you really believe that God's grace is sufficient for you even if your loved one isn't healed? Even when your dreams don't come true, even when you don't know who you are or what you're supposed to do with your life? Do you believe that despite your weakness, you have already won the only victory that matters because Christ has won it for you and put the medal around your neck as though it's yours? Do you believe that you are more than conquerors through the love of Jesus? Craig Barnes, who is the president of Princeton Seminary, explains how the early church used baptism as a way to make new Christians unafraid to share their faith under a hostile Roman government. He writes, those who were about to enter the church would take off their old clothes as a means of putting off the old anxiety-ridden life and walk down into the water. The waiting priest would place them under the water saying, buried with him in baptism. And as they rose, the priest continued, risen to new life in Christ. They put on new clothes as a symbol of putting on Christ. The rationale for this burial form of baptism was to make the members of the church go through dying and get it over with. Once they were no longer anxious about Caesar's persecutions of the church, they were free to boldly proclaim the gospel because you can't scare dead people. The way we win matters. Like Esther, we are called to win favor, not fights. And we win as a family of faith from a position of weakness. 
And the only reason the victory is ours at all is because God gives it to us through Christ, who is with you on your right and on your left, Christ before you, Christ behind you, Christ above you, Christ beneath you, and Christ within you, the hope of glory. Abide in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you are blessed and be encouraged in your faith life. Chapel happens every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11 a.m. in the gymnasium or online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel. Until next time, much love.